First John chapter th- chapter two. Going to talk about hope. Talk about hope because I believe that the church is going to be shining like a, a beacon of hope because of Christ and the church before this thing is over with. Because darkness is rising. We know darkness is rising. We've been talking about it. We see it. We see the political battle. And sometimes it looks appears to be the insanity that it seems to be uh, happening. People are saying things and doing things that are just, <clears throat> it's, it's berserk, they're berserk, really. And so I know what we need hope because you, you lose, the Bible says in Proverbs that without hope, the heart grows sick. Hope deferred is another word, the translation. And actually when uh, hope, uh, without that hope, you will get depressed. So we need hope. And I just ask the Spirit of God to impart hope to your hearts this day to move in your lives, to, to strengthen your hope. Now, hope, we'll talk about in just a moment, is not that I hope so, because really, when you talk about I hope so, it's kind of like I doubt so. <laughs> so there's a lot of doubt in there. Hope is the certainty that God is who He says He is and that He will fulfill every promise from His Word. That God is God, and He's here right now by His Spirit. And so we can trust Him. And so when we talk about hope, it, it's so important because a lot of people today are committing suicide. In fact, it seems to be that suicide, uh, I don't know if it's an epidemic, but there are a lot of people, even ministers, who are committing suicide and they don't have hope. And we know that without hope, the heart gets sick. And that is very true. So I want to talk to you today about it. And I pray that the Spirit of God would stir that hope in your heart. We'll look at uh, <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. I want to talk to you about some things that can help to stir hope in your heart. And this is the NIV version. My version is not uh, as good. I don't, I don't, may change Bibles here shortly and I'll try different versions. And I I just like the NIV. And it says it like this, verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, this is what I like, this particular verse. I always love this verse. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Looking at the word hope throughout the New Testament, it appears 50 times plus here. But without hope, there is really no reason to expend any effort. A state of hopelessness is closely akin to a state of death. Let me say it again. A state of hopelessness is closely akin to a state of death. The two, can you see the correlation of uh, depression and then moving into suicide? There is no hope. Hope gives you a thrust and momentum 
for moving forward in life. Without hope, you'll just sit back and basically do nothing because it is closely akin to a state of death. Hope is as essential to the human soul as water or food is to our physical bodies. A life without hope is a living hell. In fact, one thing that will make hell so unbearable is the absolute absence of hope. There will be no hope. People will be cast out into darkness. No God, nothing is going to be terrible. And let me tell you today, hell is, is real. I don't want to get off on another tangent, but it's real. And there's some teaching out there, again, that I've mentioned over the years that says basically that those people that, uh, that don't, that die without Christ, and uh, yeah, there's going to be some torment for just a period of time. And after that, they'll be completely annihilated. They'll just become non-existent. So no longer will they be suffering. There, that's a, a teaching that's out there. That's not true. The Bible does not say that. They will live in eternity without hope, and they'll be in torment for out all eternity without Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John, if with Jesus, you've got life. Without Jesus, you do not have life. And without hope, you fall into that particular, I mean, a uh, real depression there. Think about it for just a moment as a little illustration. The devil's having a yard sale and he's got a, a bunch of tools there and they actually have a certain price on it. First of all, there's hatred and jealousy and lust and deceit, lying and pride. These are all his tools there. And then if you're looking around there to the other side of the yard on display was a tool that's really more worn than any other tool. It also is the most costly. And that tool is labeled discouragement. And so when asked, when you ask about that particular tool and why is it priced so high, and the devil answered, it's more useful to me than any other tool. When I can't bring my victims down with any other tools, I use discouragement. Why? It's because most of them don't even realize who it belongs to. When you're discouraged, you sometimes think, well, it's just me. Let me tell you, it is a tool of the devil to bring discouragement. Discouragement is not of God, okay? He's the God of hope. He's the God that always works in that situation. So maybe we can be reminded when this happens is to obviously get into the Word of God, but also is to take authority. Get away from me, discouragement. This is not of God. Take authority over it and rebuke the devil and rebuke what he's trying to do in your life. Take authority. Speak to it and let God work and get into the Word of God and meditate upon the Word of God. Begin to think upon those things that are, are good and pure and wholesome and holy. Begin to reflect on that. Begin to, to take your mind off of those things that you're facing in life today. You know how big the sun is and I... You can do, I don't, don't look at it. Obviously, it can burn your, the retina in your eyes and so forth. But if you take a coin the size of a dime, say, or a quarter, and you put it up, at a, and you move it this close to you, you can actually blot out that big sun. And what that means is actually that particular maybe trial you're going through, or maybe that time when 
things are not turning out like you do. You can be so focused upon that particular issue that it can block out all hope out of your life. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in the Lord. Don't look and get focused upon your circumstances. Focus upon Jesus. Look at who He is. And He's the God of all hope. And He says, there's hope. There's hope there in whatever situation that you face. But let me tell you today, a life without hope is living hell. And that's why people today are doing what they're doing. Hope gives us the inspiration to keep going. And again, Proverbs 13, 12 says, without hope, the heart grows sick. Listen to this. The soul is wound around the mainstream spring of hope. The soul is wound around the mainspring of hope. Hope is everything in that. And now it remains these three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those is love. But let me tell you, hope is right there with it. Right there, all three of those, faith, hope, and love. And we know 1 Corinthians 13. But hope is something we need to obviously have because the enemy is working and he's working on people in the church today. He's working on pastors. He's working on everything. Let me tell you today, if I did not keep my eyes on Jesus, I could get very depressed about the world situation today. I could be very discouraged about what I see, even in the political arena and the, and maybe the direction that this, this country is headed today because I love the United States. I love America. I'm very patriotic today. I, I, I bless the families who've had loved, lost ones and lost them in the wars over the many, many years and, and the people who have fought that we will have the freedom that we have today. I don't take that for granted necessarily. I think sometimes I walk, I don't walk in it like what I should. But it's very, very obvious, easy to fall into the fact if you keep looking at these things and, and, and sort of meditating upon those things. God didn't tell you to meditate upon the things of the world. He says meditate and get into the Word of God, the living Word of God there. I talked to a, a, a guy uh, this past week and he called me and he said, Jim, I, I just want to tell you, he said, I'm just really having a trouble. He's been really going through. It's kind of t- his, his sickness has kind of taken him out of life and he has real bad neuropathy also and he can't sleep at night and he just stays awake during the day and uh, or he sleeps at, during the day and he can't function and he's trying to go to Bible school and he's trying to do this and he said, uh, uh, you know, that. He said, but let me tell you something, Jim. He said, he said this. He said, I've not lost faith or my hope. I've not lost it. And I said, praise God. Because you see today, if we lose that, it's very easy just to be able to just kind of check out of life there. Romans chapter 15 says it real well when uh, Paul was writing to the Roman Christians and it states it like this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love to be around people who are overflowing with hope, don't you? I love that. I love to be around people. You know, they just have a joy about them. They have a peace about them. I love the rub shoulders. You know, it rubs off too. And it's contagious, okay? It's one of those things that are good when it's contagious. And so I love to be around people here. And that person who's overflowing with hope by the power of the Spirit, 
is, is obviously also full of joy and peace and confidence and trust in the Lord there. Obviously, but I'll tell you one thing. The enemy of our souls also knows that godly hope is a powerful thing. And that's why he'll do everything he can to rob you of your confident expectation of God. Because what hope gives you is confident expectation about the future. You know, if you're not, you the, the future can look bleak. What does the future hold for me? And God has a destiny for his children. And we're being conformed into his image, image, Romans chapter 8 talks about. But we have a destiny, but the enemy, he knows how powerful it is. And he also knows how powerful worship is and praise and worship because there's power, there's spiritual warfare that takes place when you worship the Lord, when you thank him, when everything around you looks bleak and it seems to be going the opposite way. The enemy knows that it's powerful there and he'll do all that he can to try to rob you of that. In our society, hope, again, is a, it carries a weak idea. And it's kind of like, I, I, I'm not sure. I hope so. I remember talking to a, a gentleman years ago in hospice. I remember this guy. I remember sitting down talking with him. And I don't know why I remember him. Because I asked him, I said, if you died today, would you go to heaven? Do you believe with confidence that you'll go to heaven? And he said, well, I hope that God will approve of me and that he'll let me in heaven when I take my last breath. I hope so. And I began talking to him about the gospel and the confidence. And I began to talk to him about what real hope is in Jesus Christ, believing and trusting in Jesus who says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He's with us. 24-7. He never goes and comes. He's with us now. And no matter what you're facing in life today, He will carry you through it. He will go with you all the way. And if you don't know that, that confidence there, we'll just say, I hope so and all. And, and God is saying, I want you to know so. I want you to not just hope. I want you to hope in me, which is a confident expectation that he's going to fulfill these things. And he's got a future for you and me. And he's got a future for Lighthouse Fellowship. Amen. He's got a future. Greatest thing about it is, obviously, is God gives that hope. And he gives that hope as a preparation for great things. You know, um, remember Abraham and Sarah? The story, you know, they're getting up in age. They're way past childbearing ages and all in Genesis chapter 12 there. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she was barren. And, you know, he's talking about, well, you're going to make out of me the, all the nations of the, of, for, you know, all of the future and all and so forth. How can that be there? But what God does is that he gives you a promise. He gives you hope there to spur you on. If not, then we'll backtrack. He gives you a promise. You're a child of God. He will give you that and it spurs you on. And then even Abraham faced discouragement after God had given the promise. Oh, he gives his children many promises and the word of God. All these things are yes and amen. 
But a lot of times we face difficulties and we forget about those promises. We forget about our confidence in our God. And that's what happens. And we lose hope. We get discouragement. And the tool of the devil begins to work in our lives. And we forget all about it. And all this stuff seems like there's no way I can take it because it's, everything's being heaped on me at this time. And what happened when Abraham and uh, Sarah left their land and they went into the land of the Canaanites there? Well, there were people there. Can you imagine? I don't think he really thought there would be people there. But there were people there. You know, and people can cause trouble. And so, <laughs> and so he's going, my goodness, remember? And what did God do? when Abraham got discouraged in that way, he gave him a hope boost. You know what we need is a hope boost. I'm saying B-O-O-S-T. We need a boost, amen? I'm not talking about the chocolate drink there. That may help too, but I'm talking about a hope boost, amen? And I believe God does it when we're to kind of get down in the dumps. Kind of at the right time, it seems like the Lord just comes by His Spirit and begins to blow across our heartstrings. And gives us like an uplifting, like, like a plane and how actually it's the pressing down of the air that lifts the plane up, which is contradictory. But God is the, obviously the wind under our wings. He picks us up. And that's what he did for Abraham and Sarah because they had to wait. They had to wait for the promise there. Remember, a famine came also and then Abraham, he had some moral failures and so forth. And many times when we have a moral failure, and we know we sinned against God. The Spirit convicts us of, of that particular sin and we confess it and we ask Him to bring it under the blood and so forth and we get discouraged. And the enemy says, you know, do you really believe God has forgiven you? You know what you've done. You know what you've done. You blew it so bad and you blew it again so bad. And what happens is that's when we get discouraged and we lose hope. I want to suggest something to you too and I hope we take it right and so forth, is don't go in on a regular basis and do introspection. It can be discouraging. If God puts His finger on a sin in your life, then confess it and ask Him and cover it with the blood of Jesus and move on. But what happens is, is there's so many things going on in the world today and the enemy is operating to tell you all this stuff and before long, we get discouraged and we go, I can't walk this Christian life. No, you can't. Not without his power in your life. So it's a daily surrender, but it's not necessarily just everything. And, you know, the enemy will just beat you to death and you'll begin to lose hope. And God is not in that particular thing. He loves us. And God fed Abraham's soul as reminders of the hope that he had, and he was able to go through that. So, obviously, when you obviously get discouraged, a couple things here, pray. Turn to the Lord. Maybe get that quarter out of your way so you can see the sun, the S-O-N, and you can see him. And then get into the Word of God. Just if you pick it up. I'm not saying that we have to be theologians. I'm just saying pick the Word of God up. Read the Word of God. Get into the Scripture. Meditate on it. Chew on it. And, and, and let God speak to you through His Word. And then also, the community of the believers. Oh, the enemy doesn't want that. You see, I'm here in any way. If you call me, I will respond to you. And we have ministry teams also that we've trained over the last couple of years that we have people 
They are trained to help you and all. Because let me tell you today, all the group we have here is a lot stronger than just the one that's being beat up by the enemy. You come together. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together like some have, but continue to encourage one another as you see the day fastly approaching. And that's what we see happening. The community of believers is here to encourage one another. And what we do sometimes when we come in that door and we go, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. And everything else. And something may have happened. You just may need to, as the Lord leads you, to maybe have prayer together. Maybe have people maybe surround you in prayer like we do here today. All of these things. We need one another. I need you. And you need us. And that's the way God made it. And when people say, Jim, I'm praying for you, there are people in this congregation that tell me on a regular basis that I'm praying for you and Cindy. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for praying for us. Because I need that. Because sometimes I get down. And sometimes I'm faced with this where hopeless situation or whatever it may be, or maybe God's not doing what I think He should do or whatever it may be, whatever the issue is. Let me tell you today, we need one another. But let me tell you, one of the greatest things in this Scripture, I want to tell you, that will encourage you. In that verse 2 of uh, 1 John chapter 3, now we are the children of God. We need to know who we are now. Now we are the children of God. The wonderful thing about it is, I am not a child of God because I'm better than any sinner out there. I'm only a child of God because I received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ here. But the wonderful thing is, is now, if you've been born again, you've been saved, you are now a child of God. And there's some songs out right now, contemporary Christian, that say that. And I worship to them many, many times as far as the words and what it's saying. Now we're children of God. And the the blessing in knowing that and letting the Lord's Spirit work that down in your heart. What a wonderful blessing that is. You know, uh, in Romans 8, chapter uh, verse 16, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And that's how we know that we're children of God. And we know we're children of God by our love towards other believers. There in verse 14 of this chapter we're reading in. We know that we have passed from death to life, Because we love our brothers, anyone who does not love remains in death as we have love. It doesn't mean we won't have disagreements. But what it means is the overall attitude and and obviously relationship with them is a union in the body of Christ that we love one another. This particular gentleman who has a prophetic gifting, he's gone home to be with the Lord now and There's been some controversy about whether or not prophetic prophetic words that he's spoken are are really of the Lord and so forth and all. And I listened to it and all, and all of it sounded biblical. But the one thing that he taught on, he's very gifted, an older man that went home to be with the Lord. But the one thing he taught on was to love one another. He always would revert back, even powerful prophetic words. And he always would revert back that we love one another. You see, before this thing is over with, we we got to come together. we got to make sure that we, we are loving one another. Again, it does not mean 
that we won't disagree. It does not mean there won't be any of that. It means though, in that union in the body of Christ is that we love one another. And certainly here, uh, it doesn't mean that there won't be any temptation or even failures. But as a whole, our lives will be lived in submission to God and His commandments, not in rebellion and debauchery here. So what does it mean to be a child of God? It means that you're already acceptable to God. It means that you don't have to earn His favor. You already have His favor. You don't have to be good enough for God to like you or bless you. You are, in a, as in Ephesians, puts it like this, blessed is blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And you are already accepted in the beloved. Already. Isn't that great? <laughs> that is great. That's good news. I want to tell you today, we're already approved of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The enemy will try to keep you from getting this down in your heart, though. He does not want you to know who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. He'll put up a fight to keep you from doing that. And also the flesh will try to stop. There's no way. I mean, I just blew it. I just messed up. And look at me. I'm a mess. I'm a spiritual mess and all. And yet, you already, if you're saved and born again, you're a child of God. Hallelujah. God's just blessing you. And now we're children of God. Sometimes, obviously, we don't like, act like it, right? <laughs> it does not. I don't always act like it. Cindy can tell you. <laughs> don't you tell them, though. <laughs> She's sitting right here, by the way. I can look her right in the eye. So don't you tell them. We'll talk about it after church. Sometimes you don't act like it. But it does not mean now we are children of God. These are truths. This is truth. It's not some mamby-pamby, you know, pie in the sky. It's truth. We are children of God here. Obviously, it strengthens our resolve to act like it as we know that we are children of God. In verse 1, John tells us to consider the love of God that's been lavished upon us, that we who were once enemies of God, and children of the devil, doomed to destruction, obviously now we're called children of God. This is truth. It's wonderful truth. People need to know truth because they're hopeless out there. And we have the answer here. So he goes on to say, what we will be has not yet been made known. I thought about it and I looked some things up. And what does that exactly mean here? Is there's obviously, I think, it's going to be so good that words cannot describe it. And there's much that we don't know about heaven now. We can look at the book of Revelation, but we know what John there on the island of Patmos experienced. But we don't, it's going to be so good. We don't know. And so he goes on to say, has not yet been made known, but he'll reveal it in his time. I want to tell you, it's going to be good. Going into the presence of glory, going into the presence of Jesus, being healed, no more sorrow, no more pain. It, the hope of heaven, there'll be worship without distraction, service without exhaustion, fellowship without fear, learning without fatigue, and rest without boredom. Isn't that great? The hope of heaven is a powerful strength for godly living that many people seem to virtually ignore in their daily lives. And one poem says it like this, Think of stepping on a shore and finding it heaven. Of taking hold of a hand and finding it's God's hand. Of breathing new air 
and finding it celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm to tempest to unbroken calm and looking up and finding it home. We used to sing a lot about heaven. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Just passing through this world. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I'll come back and receive you unto myself that you may be where I am also. That's what we're talking about here. The hope that we have, the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal uh, the eternal presence and, and living with our Jesus, being in love with Him like we've never known, being enraptured in His love, in His embrace. All of these things are things we need to look at here and obviously reflect upon here. The old song says, Oh, I want to see Him. Look upon His face. There to sing forever of His saving grace on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice, cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Job said this. Job said in, in Job 19, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that in the end He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Even Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and I'll stand with Him here on this earth one day. And he's just yearning to see the Lord. My heart yearns. Does your heart yearn to see the Lord, to be with the Lord there? No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. Now we struggle with temptations, but in that time, we'll not struggle anymore. We shall be like Him. Obviously, hope keeps us going. Hope in the face of temptation, will actually keep you from the temptation. When you're so full of hope, you're so full of love for Jesus, it will keep you. You see, it's not necessarily just trying not to do this and that, which we know is tempting, but it's being in love with Jesus. Jesus said that He only did what He saw the Father doing. But He said also, He says, I live to please the Father. We need to be at a point in our lives that all we do is learn to please the Father. Because in this scripture, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The influence of hope will purify us because things that are in our lives that are not like Jesus, we will just fall off. We'll just fall aside because we had this hope welled up in our hearts. Certainly here, we need to learn to draw strength from the possibilities God has set before us. Remember there, Joseph, the story was that he was rejected by his brothers. He was sold into slavery and he was put in a pit. He, lie, he was lied about by Potiphar's wife saying that he had sexual relations with him. He did not. Unjustly thrown into prison there. And you know, obviously, life was pretty unfair for Joseph. So what kept him going? What kept him faithful to God? I believe it was hope. And what happened? He became the, the, the second man in charge in all of Egypt at some point. 
And he was so well revered and respected. You know, you and I may never be seen for what we do for Jesus, but that's not important. Our important is, are you being obedient to the Lord this day and what God has called you to do? He is responsible for the results. He's responsible in our families, in our church, in our individual lives. But we've got to have hope and we've got to believe it there. We need to discipline our thinking. We need to obviously reflect upon what God has done. Lamentation chapter 3 here. He says this, Yet I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We need to obviously remember those things because of God's great love. We're not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Say to myself, Lord, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I call this to mind, that He's with me. And His compassions and His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the Bible says, even when we're not faithful, He's faithful. He's faithful. I was talking to the Lord the other day and I said, oh God, please, I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful in this life. Help me to do that. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, I believe that will take place. In a town of Port Hope, Canada, there's a monument erected, not for some leading citizen, but for a poor, unselfish working man who gave most of his life and energy helping people who could not repay him. Joseph Scriven was born in Dublin in 1820. And as a young man, he was full of, of high ideals and aspirations. He was engaged to a pretty young woman who promised to share his dreams with him. But on the eve of their wedding, her body was pulled from a pond where she had accidentally fallen and drowned. Joseph never overcame the shock of that tragedy. Although a college graduate with the potential of a brilliant career, he began to wander to try to forget his sorrow. His wanderings took him to Canada where he spent the last 41 years of his life. He became a very devout Christian. His beliefs led him to labor tirelessly for poor widows and sick people. He often served for no wages. No one knew that Joseph had poetic gifts until shortly before his death at 60 years old. A friend who was sitting with him while he was ill, discovered a poem he had written to his mother during a time of sorrow. Joseph never intended for anyone else to see it. His poem was later set to music and as much a love, uh, has become a much-loved gospel song. It's said to be the first song that many missionaries teach their converts. In polls taken to determine the popularity of gospel songs, his is always near the top. What was his poem? Anybody guess? Mary? Jerry, y'all know? We'll sing it together. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often for. Bed. Oh, what needless pain we bear. 
All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Taking it to the Lord. The blessings of knowing this man was never really seen while here in this earthly life, but yet his his song will be sung, and evidently many missionaries sing this song to many others uh, as they are beginning their trek as far as being a missionary. Why do I bring this up today? It's because we're living in a time where our hope is being challenged. And I believe that in this world that there's hopelessness because they don't have Jesus. That you and I have, obviously, the privilege of sharing our hope with other people. The wonderful blessing of knowing that. Isn't it great? If you're here today and, and you're saved, can you say amen? Amen. And the wonderful thing is, is that we have that privilege uh, to take everything to God in prayer. But I believe there'll come a time, Isaiah prophetically is speaking about the uh, end times. And it says this, Arise, shine, it's Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord shall rise upon you, and His glory shall be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They are gathered. They all gather themselves together. They come to you. The, the word there, arise, is a command in, as far as the original language. He says, arise and shine, for your light has come, because the darkness is rising around us, and we have hope, and people are going to come to the lighthouse. His name is Jesus for the hope that they need today because there's a desperateness out there that I believe God, obviously, the enemy is, is seeing maybe something's happening here and he's trying to take everyone out that he possibly can. And yet our God says, arise and shine for your light has come. Prophetically, there was a word given some time ago and I believe it. Because I believe that God wishes none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. And this prophetic word was between 2010 and 2020 that a billion young people would come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, I can say thank you, Jesus, for that, okay? And why is that? Because I believe that is the heart of God. Are numbers right or wrong? I don't know, but I know one thing. I'm seeing a move of God amongst young people today like I'm not seeing today. We haven't seen it completely quake here in the United States like it. It is happening, though, around the world. There are people coming to Jesus in the underground church of China, uh, like by the, by the thousands, hundreds, every day that are coming to know Jesus. The, the underground church in China is powerful. And my friend Samson, who travels the world all over, there are people coming, young people, he said here recently, coming to know Jesus in Europe that was really godless for a long time. They're coming to know Jesus. There's exciting things happening in the world today. And you and I, obviously, uh, you're saying, well, that's for the young people, Jim. 
I'm not 18 anymore, okay? Let me give you the good news on this prophetic word of what this gentleman said. He said, those of you who are over 50 are going to be instrumental in what God is going to be doing between 2010 and 2020 in this move of God. You see, young people are going to need to be mentored Young people are going to be, need to be loved. They may not dress like us. They may not look like us. They may not worship like us. They may not do anything like us. But let me tell you today, there's a move of God that's taking place today. And I'm looking for it. And I know you are also. Amen. We need the Lord. And we need Him desperately. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank You. Just thank You. We just want to thank You, Jesus. We praise You. Because you're worthy of our praise. There's none like you, Lord. And so what is man that you're even mindful of us? But Lord, we've come because of the blood. The blood of Jesus. Thank you. And we thank you for what you're doing around the world today. And Lord, we at Lighthouse Fellowship are saying, Lord, how do we fit in to all of this? We just want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of this move that's taking place, dear Lord. We want to be instrumental and what you're doing in Houston, Texas, and beyond, oh God. Just help us get our eyes off of these things that we know they're real and we need to, we'll deal with them. But dear God, today, we right now stand against discouragement. Stand against hopelessness. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill every person's heart in here with hope. Hope, the certainty that God is who He says He is. And He'll fulfill every promise that the Word of God proclaims. Thank you, Lord. Impart hope. Let us go forward in the power and strength of our God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us these stories that we read of Joseph and Abraham and all of these. Joshua, you know, the 12 spies went into the land and uh, they came back and said, man, they're way too big. They were discouraged. <laughs> and Caleb and Joshua, they, they said, no, you said we could take it, the land. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And Lord, that's what you said to the church. You said we could take, we could take back that which in people's lives that have been trapped with demonic spirits, trapped with illness. You, we could take that back. So we see with eyes of faith, not with just seeing with our natural eyesight. We see with eyes of faith because you're the God of all hope. Thank you, Lord. I just pray today, if anybody here, just to give you life, just, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my precious Savior. I surrender all. And Lord, I just pray blessings upon this congregation, every person here, and whatever, and we know, and we're praying together. We are a community of believers, Lord. And we're connected to other churches in the area also. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And we're one in the bond of love. So Lord, Holy Spirit, come and work in our midst. And save us, deliver us, heal us, strengthen us, fill us as we glorify your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.